0: Welcome to Sexplicit, a podcast which offers free, quality and up-to-date sexuality education. In this podcast series, we will be talking about sex and sexuality explicitly. No topic is too taboo, and no question is inappropriate. This is a safe and educational space to explore your deepest curiosities. My name is Anissa I'm a clinical sexologist And this is Sexplicit. Welcome to another episode of Sexplicit. Today I'm going to share with you some surprising facts about kink and BDSM. If you haven't listened to the previous episode about kink, I invite you to go back and listen to episode 1. I explain what kink is why people are attracted to kink and some other basics of kink and BDSM. What makes many people uncomfortable about kink and BDSM is that they are extreme in some ways, whether that's physical sensations or mental practices like fear play or age play or extreme sadomasochism or extreme disgust play like golden shower. So when people who are not into kink... Or the other term is vanilla folk. They hear these things. The reaction mostly is, that's disgusting. What's wrong with these people? I would never do that. I don't understand why you would find it interesting or sexy and so on. So I'd like to invite you to pause and think about it. Explain to me this fear factor. People eating blended rats or bodily fluid from a donkey, or going to escape rooms, or people playing intense practical jokes on each other. Their hidden camera reality television series, like Punked, and someone thinking that their loved one is dead and crying. And then Ashton Kutcher jumps out and says, You're Punked. And immediately everybody is laughing. Oh, that's so good. I believed you and I thought I was dying or losing my house. Or bungee jumping. Or movies that evoke intense feelings or portray torture, rape and humiliation. Which is, by the way, 90% of the movies on Netflix. Why do people watch horror movies? Extremely sad movies. Ghost pepper challenges. Why do people eat that stuff? How about roller coasters? Even more benign things. Marathons. People puking on the side of the road. People do all of the above. It is gross, extreme, unpleasant, uncomfortable and intense. This is the exact same reason people practice kink. It's the physiological and psychological high that is pleasant and pleasurable. And there is research done on this. A researcher called Dr. Paul Rosen, who is a psychology researcher at the University of Pennsylvania. He has been studying this phenomenon and calls it benign masochism. Basically, it's human nature to seek out very extreme physical or emotional situations. And when we do these things, there is a cocktail of chemicals and hormones produced in our body. Our nervous system goes into hyperdrive, so our bodies go into this state of fight or flight. But our brain knows that we are safe. It's like a safe threat. And we get off on that feeling of mind over body. And this also lines up with some other research that has come out. There was a specific research to BDSM and that was done by the Science of BDSM research team at the Northern Illinois University by Professor of Social Psychology, Dr. Brad Sagarin. They have determined the role of cortisol and stress in our altered state of consciousness. So in kink and BDSM, we have the subspace or the dumb space. So this new research has found that when your body goes into hyperdrive and your nervous system starts freaking out, activity decreases in your frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for higher thinking, logical thinking. And at the same time, activity increases in the limbic region of the brain, which is the emotional center, which is responsible for survival. Again, think fight or flight. And so the brain and the body will respond with emotionally driven reactions. And so we enjoy this mind over body experience. And some of these wonderful cocktails of chemicals that are produced in our body from endorphin to adrenaline to serotonin, dopamine and so forth. There is also a theory that BDSM can complete the stress cycle. If you want to know more about this, I recommend you read Emily Nagoski's book Burnout. Basically, if we're talking in terms of evolution, in our past, if there was a real physical threat in our environment, Like an animal was going to attack us, then we could, through the natural process of getting away or fighting back, calm our nervous system. But now, in the modern day, our stresses are mortgages, COVID, politics, relationships, and we can't physically run away from them or physically fight back. So we are in this constant state of heightened stress. There are different ways that you can regulate your nervous system and, and can get to a state of calm again. And the book theorizes that BDSM can be one of them. Another point about BDSM is that there are some practices that we know them in the modern world as bondage, discipline, sadism and masochism practices, or kink, such as hook suspension. But they have been practiced for thousands of years by indigenous people in different countries. And the interesting question is what makes it a spiritual practice and what makes it a kink? Another myth about kink is that people who are masochists enjoy pain. You may hear this in mainstream explanations of BDSM that the body of masochists are wired in a way that they feel pain as pleasure. They enjoy pain. Well, not necessarily. This is real oversimplification. Kink, like any other human experience, is subjective and individual. And so there are infinite number of benefits, of reactions, of outcomes that are very dependent on each person who is playing. We can't put them all in a bucket and say, oh, this is the reason for that. Or this group of people are this or that all the time. But this notion that masochists are just wired funny makes it sound like masochists are like plumbing. And when they put the sink in, maybe they got the cold water and the hot water mixed up. But what we see in the real world is that there are plenty of masochists who don't have a high pain tolerance, like the myth says but they do it for other reasons. What I often hear from people is, I do it because afterward I feel good. And again, I mentioned this in the previous episode that the term pain is misleading in the context of BDSM. It's not the pain that people enjoy. It's the extreme or intense sensations that they enjoy. And The intensity of the sensation is very subjective, so it's basically something more than your baseline and that can be different for different people. And people who enjoy those sort of extreme and intense sensations don't necessarily enjoy pain. I have worked with many clients who have some type of chronic pain, they don't enjoy that but they enjoy the sensation that they receive from their dominant or from their play partner in that um, BDSM dynamic. So they are very different things. Some people say that they like the challenge. They like pushing their bodies. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, that's unhealthy. Again, think marathon runners, triathletes. There are some people who like to push their bodies And if they're pushing their own limits and they're doing it consensually and they're in charge of it and they're not being reckless, just like the marathon runners or the CrossFit athletes, they benefit from it. It's the same concept. And there are other reasons too. It can be a form of relaxation, a form of escapism. Sometimes it can be sexually arousing and fulfilling, and sometimes it's a mental high, a psychological sort of fulfillment and pleasure. Kink and BDSM are not about sex. And you may be thinking, what? All the things that we see in magazines and movies is all sex. What do you mean it's not about sex? Sex is one tool that you can use in your kinky toolbox. You may have a whip, a flogger, Nipple clamps and maybe some ropes, and one of those things in your toolbox can be sex. Just like you can choose to use a flogger or choose not to use a flogger, it's the same thing with sex. Sex is just a tool, and of course, you're going to negotiate with your partner what you're going to use or not. Oftentimes, with kink, all of these physical tools are at the service of the emotional and mental high. The psychological pleasure. Of course there's sometimes the person only enjoys the physical sensations without a power play going on. But most of the time it is that psychological power exchange dynamic that is delicious and pleasurable. And this is the reason why in the King community you see a lot of people who are asexual. So they're not sexually attracted to anyone but they practice BDSM because they like that psychological high so in their negotiation prior to a scene people can say hey I don't want sex with my BDSM and that is not unusual. So for a lot of people who are asexual and are kinky it's a way to get that physical sensory and psychological stimuli in a non-sexual way. It's a way to get intimacy to connect with others without having to have sex. And this leads me to the next point that there are a lot of neurodivergent people in the kink community as well. So, people with ADHD, autism, and so on. One reason that some neurodivergent people participate in the kink community is the culture of clear communication. Some people find the flirting, the innuendos confusing and frustrating. One of my clients shared that he was never sure if he was picking up the signals right. But then in the kink community, it is completely acceptable to sit down with a pad of paper and talk about what we want to do. Another thing that some neurodivergent people enjoy is that they have the permission and the support of the people they play with and the culture of the community gives them the permission to just stop and advocate for their needs. So if they're having a sensory issue, for example, a sock is scrunched up in the king community, they can just stop and say, hey, I have this boundary. I have this thing that I have to stop and do X, Y, Z. And this is not considered weird. And this is because of the consent culture in the king community, which normalizes advocating for yourself and not having to explain why. Not having to feel that your thing is weird. And also you get praised for advocating for yourself. Another thing that is appealing for people is that kink can be your test lab or test kitchen. You get to try on different personalities, different interpersonal approaches that you might be too afraid to do in the real world. Because it could really screw something up. Because the consequences would be very serious in the real world. You could be embarrassed. You could actually mess up a relationship. But in the safe container of King, this is negotiated play. So sometimes people use this lab or kitchen to figure out those patterns and to utilize those tools that they can then use in the real world. Now I would like to talk a little bit about the state of flow, the dom space and the subspace, that altered state of consciousness. So this is a psychological state of mind, that high, that mental high, that people experience. And trying to explain the subspace, for example, and how it affects someone is like trying to explain or describe an orgasm. So there are a lot of similarities, but everyone's individual experiences are different. So subspace is typically induced once our body's chemical balance is altered. We talked about all these hormones, endorphin and adrenaline, all the neurotransmitters changing and rising, All of these things that we talked about earlier. And it is usually the intense physical or psychological stimulation, or both, that sometimes puts you right in this subspace. A lot of people describe subspace as a dissociate euphoria. Your sense of time becomes distorted. Your emotions intensify. For some people, it can feel like being high or drunk. Subspace can skew our perception of pain. It can skew our perception of things that are unpleasant or disgusting and can allow us to tolerate things that are more intense. Our decision-making ability is effective and therefore it's important that once you're in the scene and you've already negotiated that you don't renegotiate mid-scene because you are both or all ...in an altered state of consciousness. Often reaching this subspace is the goal of a scene. It's this out-of-body, trance-like experience for some people. It feels good. And just like a lot of other stuff that we've been talking about... ...a lot of people feel that it can be mentally and physically therapeutic to be in this subspace... And sometimes, rather than slowing down or feeling woozy and, you know, drunk and high, a submissive could get really hyped up, talking a mile a minute, excited or having another atypical reaction. And subspace isn't this elusive thing that, oh my goodness, I need to go join a dungeon and get kinky so I can experience subspace. You've probably already unknowingly have stumbled upon subspace during vanilla sex, normative sex. If you've ever had an orgasm that was so intense that it left you speaking in tongues, not saying that this is everybody's experience and that orgasms need to be like that, but if you ever had an experience of intense orgasm, then you have come across this experience But the thing about subspace is that you don't need to have an orgasm to hit that spot psychologically and physiologically. You can intentionally create it. It's a similar feeling, this blissed-out feeling. But you don't have to wait for your orgasmic stars to align and just wish that maybe this time it would be it. In kink, you intentionally and proactively make it happen, which is great. Now, let's talk about dumb space. It is like subspace, but it doesn't turn our brains and bodies into mush and that incoherent babbling and going nonverbal, even for some people. It is described by many people as being in the state of flow. Dumb space is more about that attentive hyper focus. We have also reached this state in a non BDSM context. For example, you're doing a physical activity that you're really into, your creative hobby. You're playing World of Warcraft, you are dancing, you're playing the music, you're doing something that is enjoyable and you lose track of time. You are in a state of flow when you're fully immersed in whatever activity that you're doing at the time and you're 110% in the zone Then you are in flow. Of course, individual experiences vary. And what I'm describing here for you is is the most typical experience. Typically, when a person enters the dom space or the subspace, people explain and describe that that ego falls away. The passage of time gets completely distorted. You could do something for hours and it feels like only 15 minutes. You are fully immersed in whatever experience you have. You have unwavering concentration. You feel like you're effortlessly performing and operating. In a DOM space, you feel like you're connecting with yourself on an intuitive level. You feel, okay? Note that I say, you feel, Sometimes you might be completely off the mark. So just know this, that it's a feeling that you have. You are in an altered state of consciousness, even though you feel that hyper-attentive, completely in control. You are still drunk on these brain chemicals. And just like the submissive's reality is being skewed in subspace, the same is true about dumb space, even though it doesn't feel like it. You may feel like you have all the confidence and the good judgment in the world while you're in dumb space, but it's a feeling. It is not a time for you to make snap decisions about serious things. It is not a time to renegotiate in the middle of the scene. This is why pre-planning when you're in the right headspace and sticking to it is really important. Okay, let's talk about community. Most people who practice kink don't have anything to do with community. When people generally ask, hey, I want to be kinky, what should I do? What we often hear is, well, first, find your local community, go to a munch, which is a non-sexual get-together, getting to know other people. And that might not be possible for people depending on their personal situation. Maybe they just can't be in the public eye. Maybe they live in an area of the country that doesn't have community. Maybe they don't have the time or resources. So, first of all, not everybody can join community. So, telling people who want to practice king to first go and find a community doesn't apply to everyone. And the reason that this perception is out there is that the community kingsters are these super passionate people. It's their hobby, it's their life, it's their lifestyle. And they're the ones creating blogs, they're the ones who become creators on social media, they are the voices that we hear from the kink community. They are the ones teaching classes, writing books. So of course the perception is in order to be kinky you have to belong to community. And that is absolutely not true and not necessary. There is also this perception that if you start practicing kink, it will escalate. We've heard about the relationship escalator in vanilla or normative dating. So that means that if you date someone after X amount of time being exclusive with them, then after X amount of time you get engaged, then after X amount of time you move in together, then you get married, then you have kids, you you buy a car, you buy a house together. There is that expectation that we need to ride that escalator step by step. And there is that same escalator in kink as well. So it can be either in terms of intensity of what you experience or the dynamics of the relationship. That, oh, if I start to do kinky things, it may start from a bit of biting, scratching, slapping on the butt, Because remember, kink is subjective. Um, So yeah, if I start here, then I won't feel satisfied with this in a month's time. And then in two months' time. And then it will escalate to more extreme or disgusting things. And what if I will end up with being attracted to children or animals? Because nothing else would satisfy me anymore. Let me put your mind at ease. This is based on research and studies and not my personal opinion. Human sexuality doesn't work this way. You can be aroused by a blindfold now and forevermore. But you may want to try a blindfold now and in two months time you want to try something else. They are not interdependent. There is also the perception of this dynamic escalator in King that if I'm into power exchange dynamic. I need to find a dominant or a submissive. I need to get into a full-time dynamic with them 24/7. I need to be collared. But that's not necessarily true. You don't need to rush to get into a dynamic as quickly as possible. And when you're new to kink, that can be risky. Think about dating. Let's say that you start dating at 16 and immediately you want to jump into getting married. First of all, you don't know that much about people. You don't know much about yourself in this world of sex and dating. So we usually tell the 16-year-old, don't jump into anything serious too fast. It's the same with kink. Explore, have fun, enjoy and get to know yourself more and then other people and your play partners. And be informed. The cornerstone of kink is consent. Risk-Aware Consensual Kink. The acronym is known as R.A.C. Risk-Aware Consensual Kink. If you want to know more about safety planning and whether it's psychologically safe for you to practice kink, especially if you had a history of trauma, we have a pre-recorded course on our website go to our website to the workshop section the course is called healing through kink i will also leave the link in the show notes i hope you enjoyed today's episode please write to us like always and let us know and what other curious questions you have do join us for another episode until then it's goodbye for now